Uh, what if Jesus had not risen from the dead? And I've been thinking about the text, even the sting of, the sting of death is, as we look at that, even is sin. And uh, I, it, that's been personal to me because I was helping move some bees, uh, selling some bees, and one nailed me in the nose, in the chin, and about two or three on each ankle. I was helping someone move those and just thinking about the sting because there's a painfulness to sting, to that sting. But it's only for a temporary time. And this morning, as we look at it, what if Jesus had not risen from the dead? It's a hypothetical question that Paul is giving us, not simply to be answered. If you think about hypothetical questions, you know, what if there were no hypothetical questions? Or if someone offered to tell you accurately exactly where you'd be in 20 years, but you'd be powerless to change what they tell you, would you want to hear it? If someone with multiple personalities threatens to kill themselves, is it considered a hostage situation? Or where do forest rangers go to get away from it all? If one synchronized swimmer drowns, do the rest drown too? Would you give up all first world perks to live in a third world country but be happy? What do you do when you see an endangered animal eating an endangered plant? If the police arrest a mime, do they have to tell him he has a right to remain silent? If you try to fail and succeed, do they t which have you done? And then can an atheist get insurance against acts of God? Now, we kind of look at some of these hypothetical questions and wonder about them and use them in, a, in kind of a conversation starting. But Paul, as he even begins earlier in the chapter, he is dealing with the Corinthians' belief or, or some of the suggestion of some, there is no resurrection from the dead. And the greatest hypothetical question is presented by Paul, and he says, what if Jesus had not risen from the dead? Looking at verse 12. And we see, first of all, he answers that by saying, there would be no resurrection of the dead in verses 12 through 19. So let's follow that line of thinking through. Because first of all, as we see in verses 13 through 16, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus had no power. And we know that Jesus, he was powerful. And sometimes I think, humanly speaking, we think Jesus is powerful, but you know what? He rose from the dead, but he can't fix my life. He can't help me with this financial situation. He can't help me with my marriage. He can't help me uh, with this auto problem. But he does have power. If you look at verse 13 and 16, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13, it goes on and says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus, then Christ has not risen. First of all, the power to rise, understanding, and then verse 16 says, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. This is a significant act because if Christ has not risen, first of all, there is no forgiveness of sin. The power to forgive sins. And we know even in Matthew 9, Jesus says, which is easier, to heal a man or to forgive them from their sins so that you may know that the Son of Man be glorified, arise and walk. So there would be no forgiveness of sin. And as we look at this, they use a theological word called propitiation. It simply means, if you ever read that and sometimes you stumble over it in, in 1 John, it means a wrath-removing sacrifice because that wrath is due us. We deserve punishment for our sins. That's the hard part, you know. Sin is fun while we do it, but there's always consequences. And you think, what about all these people who get away with everything? 
Someday there's a reckoning, and there is going to be a consequence for that sin. And remember, the sting of death is sin, because the consequence, as we see, is going to be the separation. And death is not simply you cease to exist. It's that separation. And here, Jesus' death paid the penalty that was required. It was not paid to Satan. Some say, oh, it's a ransom, you know, that, that he gave to Satan. But it was a substitutionary atonement on our behalf. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was sufficient to give, forgive the sins of the world. And that's powerful because what we can understand is there's no sin too great that can separate us from God because of what he has done for us. Sometimes we think, I'm such a bad person. If I go into the church, the walls are going to come down, right? Or the ceiling comes down. That used to be the same. But to understand here, it is only efficient for those who have confessed and humbly asked. That's where we get the word redemption. Because while it's sufficient for all, only those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will have the opportunity to redeem that value and to receive that benefit. But not only... Would there be no forgiveness of sin? There would be no new body. Now, some of you are young. Some of you are, you know, athletic. And uh, guess what? It won't stay that way. I hate to say it. You're all going to get old. Someday you'll sit in a rocking chair and can't get it going. You know, you'll get winded playing chess. You'll look forward to a dull evening. But that new body... There would be no new body. And deny the resurrection is to deny the human nature that Jesus had a new body. He was the first fruits. When it talks about that first fruits, we don't necessarily live in agrarian society, but if you, if you grew up there or think of the Napa Valley or anywhere where there is the first fruits, what happens is you can usually tell how your crops are going to do based upon those first ones. You tender and care for it, and then those early ones that produce, and you think, oh, wow, it's going to be a great harvest this year. Well, Jesus Christ, because he was the first fruits, he was the one who rose again and had this new prototype body. Now, it's not like a bionic body, but, you know, think about it. Walking through walls and what he was able to do, that new body. And they still had the scars on his hands and side. Is a living indicator that believers will rise again and have a new body. So someday, guess what? You won't have those aches and pains. The guy who I was helping move bees, he says, oh, people get stung by bees, and that helps with their arthritis. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know, man. That's kind of a, which is the, the lesser of the two. You know, it helps with their arthritis, but it's also painful. I mean, that nailed me here, here, and I was like, oh, you know, you're just waiting for it. But the new body, there are aches and pains. But someday, it says in heaven, there will be no sorrow. There will be no pain. But if there's no resurrection, there's no new body. But also, there is no eternal life in heaven. And what that means is humans are created with two essential parts, body and then soul and spirit, as we see. And when we die, our physical matter is separated from our immaterial matter. We don't cease to exist. But what occurs is some will face the consequence of their sins, and their soul will exist in punishment. If you hold your spot, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, hold your spot in 1 Corinthians, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4.
And we can always, if you know me well enough, I always like to give context. So we're going to start in verse 2. Peter here is speaking. And he's speaking to believers because if you look in verse 1, it says, To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What he says here is all those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ will partake or have this new divine nature to be able to live in heaven. Eternal life. And you think, why would I want to live forever? See, the problem is we have an, a concept or an idea that heaven's going to be up there. Oh, yeah, we're floating around on harps, you know, or, or sitting in rocking chairs or just, you know, God is this this guy with a beard, we're sitting on a cloud, what are we going to do? We'll be bored. And that's the problem is that we have this misconception um, of what heaven is. And the part, hard part is that we, we can't experience heaven except for dying. And most people say, well, you know, I don't want to just die right now, but, but to understand what the Word of God says about heaven. Heaven is a place that is going to be beyond our conception of what truly is great and wonderful. Now, we can think of great experiences. Maybe it's an international trip. Maybe it was a celebration where you were all around family or friends. Maybe you got to go to Disney World. Maybe something humanly, a concept where someone gave you a brand new a Bugatti or, or gave you a brand new uh, house or something. You're like, wow, that is the greatest gift. That is the greatest thing I ever had. It will pale in comparison to what eternal life in heaven is. And that's the hard part because, honestly, humanly speaking, if we were made in the image of God, we were made to worship him. And in that, there is going to be fulfillment. Because one of the greatest things that humans, humans seek is purpose. And when, when even in a little, little area of a set of circumstances, when we fulfill that purpose or a purpose, doesn't that feel like we're satisfied? Like we've achieved a goal, like, wow, that really gives... Uh, positive feedback, it really helps us feel fulfilled because we've accomplished some, some purpose sometimes greater than we could do on our own. And when it comes to worship, we were created both to worship and to be made in the image of God, and someday that will occur. But if there's no resurrection, then there's no power, and that doesn't occur. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus had no message. If you look at verse 14, 15, and 19, it says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. And then verse 19, it says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. The message. And as, as I was studying this out and reading this, I sometimes think of salespeople. If you're a salesman, I apologize, but sometimes salesmen is it's difficult to sell something that you don't really believe in. I used to sell cut code knives when I came out of um, I was in college as a freshman, and they didn't tell you what you what you were doing. You said, "Hey, college students, you want to earn some money?" I said, "Okay," but they never told us what we were selling. 
And uh, so then they say, here are these knives. that sell it. And I'm not the greatest salesman. But you know what? I did make one sale because someone bought a whole set because they are good knives. And I'm not promoting them. But my point is that can you imagine trying to sell something that isn't very, um, as far as the validity or genuineness of how the quality it is? You know, you'd be a fraud. You would be like, well, you know, you don't really believe in it, so your heart isn't in it, so you're not going to sell it really well. But here, as we look at it, the message, the resurrection, then Jesus would have no message. Well, let me just tell you this. What occurred in the lives of the disciples? When Jesus Christ, if he had not risen from the dead, why were they all, except for John, who couldn't, willing to risk their lives to die? But here, if there was no resurrection, Jesus had no message, and there was no truth to follow. The message is meaningless. Why would anyone follow a dead God? People do. They still follow a dead God because they think that there's some value in that. But not only is Christ different, that he died and he rose again and is still living. If you think about it in the Bible, there were other people who came back from the dead, but guess what? They died again. Only Jesus Christ claims that he rose again and is still living. And a historical fact is in question if he didn't raise from the dead. The belief in salvation is in question. There's no reason for Easter if there is no resurrection. There's no truth. See, the basis for Christianity isn't just, set, isn't just a set of principles. Oh, if you're good, if you dress nice, if you do this. That's not the basis of Christianity. It's to believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, and did what he said he did. Otherwise, he would be a fraud. And then his teachings are as well. Only biblical Christianity is solely based upon the personal work of Jesus Christ. Because if you remove Jesus Christ out of the equation, then there is nothing to stand on. No good news. Paul states historical fact of his resurrection. You know, even if it says in verse 32, in uh, chapter 15 of verse 32, Paul says, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And that leads into the next one, because not only is there no truth to follow, but no future hope. There is no hope, future hope or promise. And the challenge is because sometimes in English, we get stuck with this word hope. We use the word hope like, oh, I hope I get a bike for my birthday. I hope I get, you know, a, um, a nice fine dinner for my birthday. I hope I get this. And there's uncertainty in it. But when the Bible uses hope, it's promise unfulfilled. And when you think about the person giving the promise... They are trustworthy, and the credibility rests on the individual giving the promise. If you take your family members, and if you think about it, oftentimes if you had two parents, one of the parents you could go to and probably get what you wanted. You know, one parent you would say, oh, no, I can't, I can't get it from them. Maybe you want to go to a friend's house. One parent would say, no, so you go and ask mom or you go and ask dad. Depends on if you're a girl or a boy. Usually there's one of them that you could usually convince Okay, you know, they would go. And then, you know, your hope, if the, the promise fulfilled, they, they would be able to fulfill that. But here, if you look at it, if there's no future hope, what would be the benefit of being a Christian? 
Anyone who does not have a relationship with Jesus is simply hoping that they will get to heaven based upon their goodness of God and that their goodness will be accepted. But the challenge is that's not what the Word of God says, if you're good enough. We think about justice, who's blind and weighs the scales, and sometimes we, we have trouble because we want justice, but not when it comes to our own lives. Because if we, were, if we received justice, then we would be as guilty as anyone. But in justice, what occurs is, as we, as we look at this goodness, we think, oh, if I do enough good, then that will outweigh my bad. Or humanly speaking, in the Western U.S., we just say, I just have to be good enough to get past, um, to be better than my neighbor or my friend. It's kind of like um, the two guys who are out on safari, you know, and they were, um, they were out in the jungle, and so they're getting ready to um, go big game hunting. Well, the problem is uh, they shot and they missed, and, and the gun was locking up, and so the one guy takes out his backpack and starts putting on these um, running shoes. And like, why are you putting on shoes? You know, the lions, these animals are coming after us right now. He says, I don't have to, you can't outrun the, the animals, the lions. He goes, I don't have to outrun the lions. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> so we try to be good or better than someone else. But that's not the standard. And that's what we need to understand because the standard is the promise. The Bible says that you can know for sure that you have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8, it says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. And my point in giving that is the hope is that, and the promise unfulfilled is that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. But you know what? If there is no future, if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. Because it doesn't matter. Just be good as someone else. What happens afterwards? Do we just die and poof? Or maybe you can not believe that there is any afterlife. I know some who just say that there is a reincarnation in the East. Sometimes it's just we're all the big cycle of life. But also, if there is no resurrection, there's also no personal relationship. And Christianity is based upon the personal work of Jesus Christ, and it is not based upon a set of teachings, as we mentioned before, but ultimately upon the personal work of Jesus Christ. But it's not just believing that he existed, because many believe that Jesus Christ existed but it's entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what that means is there is a transferal of trust. Each of you came in this uh, church, and I, I thank you that you just sat down. You didn't test it, you know, to make sure that the seat was broken. You sat down because the chair is supposed to, um, the chair is supposed to hold you up. It's a seat. But you know, if, if one of the chairs broke, then everyone would be coming in the next week like, okay, I hope I don't get the broken chair. Or maybe in your own household, you know, we have a dining room chair that gets loose once in a while. And so I, I end up sitting it after once in a while. I was like, oh, i got to tighten it up because I don't want it to just to break on someone. But if it did, that would ruin, obviously, the illustration. But a transfer of trust. It doesn't just believe, I believe this chair holds me. And you can go on existing that, but until you sit down into it, until you transfer your trust in the person work of Jesus Christ, say, I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again, and now I place my faith and trust in you for eternal life. 
And what that is, it begins a personal relationship. And that is a key element because the person work of Jesus Christ isn't just some sterile deity that just is out there, as there's some agnostics who, who believe that Jesus, God created this world and then he left. Or they, they say that we can't even know that there is a God. Excuse me, deism is, is where he wound the clock and left. But Jesus Christ, they believe, if there is no personal relationship, Jesus can't forgive you. He cannot help you get to heaven. He cannot love you or hear your prayers. And I'll be honest, as, as the songwriters have always said, you know, everyone wants to feel loved, to be loved. And not in some romantic, mushy way. Maybe, you know, some of you wanted that too. But, but to understand to love. It starts as a child, the love of a parent and a child. Because the child is always seeking the affections of a parent in some way. And then seeking that love or reaffirmation and understanding. It comes in different ways. Sometimes it's through words of affirmation that encourage us. Sometimes it's through notes. Sometimes it's through gifts. Sometimes it's through contact, a hug. There's some people who I know, you know, hey, I need a hug today. There's some people who would say, you know what, just spend time with me. If you're here present, you don't have to do anything else. It's similar back when we could be in the hospitals. Sometimes just being present there, that has significant meaning and is an act of love. There's some who would say, you know what, love is also doing something for someone else, acts of service. Sometimes people um, would rather receive, like, oh, if you do the dishes or vacuum or, or do this, you know, that, that's more significant than, than buying me a new car. And you might think, wow, well, that would be easy, but that's the hard part. Sometimes we don't do those acts of service. But my point is, humanly speaking, we want to have that um, a love displayed before us, but also love received. And the only true biblical example we have is through Jesus Christ. This Proverbs says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, or someone lays down his life. But even greater is, while that may be a great act, what Jesus Christ did in, in permitting us to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you know that when you pray, you can pray directly to God through Jesus Christ? And he hears you. And he knows what you're going through. We have an advocate, the Word of God says. And to be able to have that personal relationship. Now, I know some of you are like, you know what, I'd rather be alone. I'd rather maybe go out my shop or I'd rather do something on my own. There's certain people like that. But if there is no resurrection, no message, no personal relationship, someday you're going to need, you need that personal contact. You need to have that uh, personal relationship and to understand the significance of that because the Holy Spirit, which we can often relate to, to sense his presence and help, it is real in our lives. And there are times where we can look back and see what he has done for us in that personal relationship. When we need help, there's resources. God brings along people. There are times in your life that you can look back and say, you know what, I am grateful for so-and-so because they helped me. They came and got me when I ran out of gas. They helped me through college. They helped me when I needed to move. They helped me when I, when I needed uh, someone just to cry on. God knows and understands. But if there is no resurrection, there's no personal relation. Last thing we look at is, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus had no benefits. Verse 13, 15, 16 through 19. And I'm not talking about benefits like 
health and dental and uh, retirement. Well, the retirement's out of this world, but, but to understand here the benefits of being Jesus Christ. First of all, he was deity. And what that means is he was God. Look again at, at verse 13. It says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God and that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. 16 goes on and says, If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Even those who have before gone on. But see, if there is no benefits, first of all, there is no deity. And what that means is it affects the basis of Jesus Christ and his character. Jesus Christ, throughout the book of John, claimed to be God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He basically says that, guess what? You can't get to God except through Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, it was still the same way through faith, except they looked ahead to the Messiah. They didn't have everything as clear as we do today. We have the written word of God. We can look historically at what took place. And so we actually have more information, and it is a benefit to us. If Jesus Christ has not resurrected, then is Jesus really God? There would be no distinction from a person who sacrificed on our behalf. You know, we would be grateful, but only Jesus could be sinless. Um, I used to work in Syracuse, New York, in um, a kidney pancreas transplants, and uh, also in Iowa as well. But we would see people's lives would be changed, and they, they would encourage people to be donors but how it does change lives. And it's a benefit. If anyone has ever had an a, um, organ donation, you know, it allows them to live longer than they would have. But you know what? As good as that organ donation is, it is only temporary. It's beneficial, but they still physically die. However, because of Jesus Christ being God, he's the only one who can permit us to have eternal life. And so he wouldn't be who he said he was. But also... There would be, not only would there be no deity that benefit, there would be no faith. And faith isn't just this uh, concept of believing. If you have enough faith, you can have eternal life. If you have enough faith. It's not just having faith, it's where you place your faith. And we repeated that time and time again, understanding it's the object of your faith is worthy of your trust. There are some people here who you would say, okay, I'll lend um, $100 to and I might get it back. Some people say, you know, I'll lend the money, but I don't expect it back. There's some of you who I would trust with money, you know, you'd probably give it back. Some of you probably wouldn't, or it would be a long time. And you know what? That's a credibility issue. But faith, as we look at faith, is believing that God will do what he promised. It affects the basis of Jesus Christ and his character, as I mentioned. But it, all who taught and believed in Jesus' resurrection are either foolish or liars. Faith is believing that God will do what he promised, but once we transfer that faith or trust in him, did you know that it doesn't, it, we can't necessarily affect their trustworthiness? Sometimes we like to. We're kind of uh, micromanagers in control. Hey, don't forget my money, or don't forget this, or, you know, we try to manipulate or say, hey, you, you still owe me things. But when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to the personal work of Christ for our salvation, there's nothing that we can do about it. And the credibility of who Jesus Christ is. 
transferring that trust. The credibility of Paul and the disciples would be ruined if there was no resurrection. It is a stain upon their character. Is it, would it be worth it for them? Because they suffered persecution. Paul went through shipwrecks, he talked about, for the cause of Christ. Hardship. And sometimes we think, well, they might, but these are fishermen. These are men who were willing to suffer, to be crucified upside down before they were scared. And I'll be honest, sometimes it is scary to live like a Christian in today's world. Did you know sometimes you get made fun of? Sometimes, you know, you're ridiculed, you're embarrassed, people are mean to you. But if Jesus Christ did raise from the dead, then there is value and purpose. And that is important for us to understand. And then finally, if there's no deity, um, no resurrection, no benefits, no deity, no faith, no peace. And I don't mean peace within countries because, you know, sometimes there isn't even peace in your own household. You know, we all fight about things. Sometimes we like to fight. But death is the end. Prior believers are not in heaven. We are still guilty and lost in our sins. There is no possession of peace. And we must ultimately face serious and eternal consequences if there is no resurrection. Christians would have no internal peace with God, nor external peace with themselves. No internal peace with God because what happens is, suppose there's no resurrection. Well, I'm not sure if I can get to heaven or if there is anything. Doubt. Doubt leads, continues on and leads, and it can crush us. Think about doubt. If you're ever in a relationship, oh, does someone love you or will someone do this? What if you had to had doubt about whether you're going to be employed every day? Your boss might fire you. And then external peace with others. If you've ever offended someone and just wondering, oh, you know, how do you rebuild trust? How do you, how do you start over? How do you understand that, you know, building that relationship with others? And life without the resurrection would be an emotional roller coaster going up and down. You know, there's an artist who uh, asked the, he was a, um, he had his artwork in a gallery. And he asked the gallery owner if there had been any interest in her paintings that were on display. And the, um, the owner said, well, I have some good news and some bad news, the owner responded. The good news is that a gentleman noticed your work and wondered if it would appreciate in value after your death. I told him, yes, it would. So he bought all 10 of your paintings. Uh, she said, that's wonderful. What's the bad news? The gentleman was your doctor. No peace. But that leads us to the the final question, because it's a, remember, this is a hypothetical question. What if there was? But Paul, if we look at his vocabulary, if we, if we look at this text, really, he goes on and says, but what if Jesus has risen from the dead? Look at verse 20 and 22 in 1 Corinthians 15. But, and whenever there's that conjunction, you know, that change of direction, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, many of it is capitalized, the Son of Man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Understanding that, and just even if you have any other doubt, let me just read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you, just look at these words because it, it doesn't, it isn't that clear in the English, but these 
of the vocabulary preaches it and explains it as an assumed fact. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes on and gives physical evidence. Guess what? He was seen by Peter, and he was seen by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 people at once. You've got to remember, this is a, almost like a, a legal treatise. Okay, here's the physical evidence of the fact that this occurred. These other individuals saw them. See, but now Christ is risen from the dead. If you're here this morning and never placed your faith and trust in Christ, let me just give you, um, if you ever took philosophy class, 17th century um, philosopher Blaise Pascal. He was actually a mathematician. But Pascal's wager, and just understand, modify it a little. Just listen to this. If there is no God and Jesus never died and rose again, humans have, lost, have not lost any advantage or benefit. However, there is more risk in what we lose if there is a God and in the fact that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to forgive our sins and rise again. If we fail to believe his words and not place our faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we die knowing that there are consequences and punishment for our unbelief and inaction. If you're here this morning and have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, confess your sins. Simply admit that you're a sinner. But place your faith. Believe that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again. He can give you the gift of eternal life. Sometimes it's done through a prayer. Even the words, it says, if, thou, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If we fail to believe his words and not place our faith in Jesus and his resurrection, we die knowing that there are consequences and punishment for our unbelief and action. Those who have repented of their sins and believe that Jesus died and rose again possess forgiveness of sin and guilt and the gift of an unfulfilled promise. That's why the core of the gospel or the good news message is that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins on our behalf. But he also rose again to provide a future home in heaven, eternal life. And the paradox of 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22 is that Life comes because of death, and only new life can come after death. That's why we think about the lilies, the flowers, because often in cold weather climates, there's snow on the ground. We live in Arizona, so there's not much snow on the ground. But guess what? If you've lived where there is snow and it's cold, and when you start to see those crocuses and flowers coming up, you think, hey, it's spring. There's still life under there. Those annuals and what is it, perennials, you know, are coming out. And so it's, it's a sign that there is life. And all of us will die physically, yet in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ shall be made alive. In the future, Jesus will return to take believers to heaven. Until then, believers who have died and been given the promise because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they will be in heaven. Let me just close with this. Where will you be? Will you agree that you're a sinner? Ask Jesus for forgiveness. 
believe that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross but rose again and can give you the free gift of eternal life right now? It was free, but there was a cost. If you're a believer this morning, if you already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when's the last time you really thought about how significant, how wonderful that gift is to have eternal life? Because I'll be honest, Baptists don't get very emotional. And I'm Asian, and that even is worse because, you know, get excited. But, you know, there's some of my friends who, who are, are really a bit more outgoing and, uh, you know, both bodily and everything, just exciting, even when they sing whatever. But, but the point is that we need to be excited. We need to say, praise the Lord. We need to just express the gratitude and awe and wonder, the fact that we can have a home in heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But if you don't have that, if you've never placed your faith and trust, I would encourage you to do it today. Talk to myself or even where you're at. We're going to have prayer in just a moment, and then we're going to have a special. And I can just walk you through to help you through that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's such a difficult concept for us because it's, it's life that comes after death. And the only way to receive this life is to die. Lord, first of all, it requires humility because in us, we have to die. Lord, if there's someone here who, if they're to die today and they're not sure that they would be in heaven, maybe they can't answer the question, if I were to die today, I would go to heaven. Or maybe they're not sure what they would say if they were to stand before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? They would say, well, I don't know. Maybe because my family was a Christian. Maybe because um, I hope that God would allow me because I'm good enough. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. For whoever, first of all, will repent of their sins. What that means to agree with God. Where you're at, you simply can say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And, and, he can, and ask him for forgiveness. Please forgive me. And then pr pray and lead through words or, or with your heart, understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he rose again to give you the gift of eternal life and simply ask him for that, to trust him. It's, it's beginning a new relationship with Jesus Christ. No, there is no special feelings. What it is is simply believing what the word of God says, placing your faith and trust in an object worthy of our trust. But the hard part about faith is we can't see it. But you can know that Jesus Christ existed. You are entering into a new relationship with someone who is alive. And I'd encourage you to do that today. What a great Easter it would be, 2021, to know that if something were to happen to you, you would be in heaven. If you have more questions, there's, there's little booklets in the back how to know for sure that you're going to heaven. But if you're here this morning and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know, you can truly both celebrate but also rejoice, be grateful. Those who have gone on before, Lord, they are in heaven and that's the promise. And while it's difficult because those who have left this earth, they've separated their body from their soul. But the promise is because of the resurrection, they're in heaven. And Lord, you are trustworthy. And my prayer here this morning is that people get to know who Jesus Christ is. 
that you are who you said you were. There is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where is the body? You are alive and you have a new body. And someday we will be with you in heaven. And until then, may we declare that good news. May we live in such a way that honors you. May you help us to, to rejoice and simply be reminded of that future promise that is to come. It hasn't been fulfilled yet, but someday you will either return to, to draw believers to yourself or through whatever means, as we pass on in this life, we will be with you. Lord, thank you for that wonderful gift. Thank you for that and help us to not lose sight. Help us not to be distracted upon that great promise. It is in Christ alone that we have salvation and eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.